It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we're back for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you, and we are appreciating the fact that you're with us tonight as well, listening on the Internet. We look forward to your participation in the program uh, you can participate in the program by dialing 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Or you can email your questions or your comments to questions at collegeview.com. We have an important discussion tonight. The economy is on the minds of a lot of people in the world today. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about financial things. Yeah, we did th- We did talk about some financial things uh, a few weeks ago. Jim Walsh was on the program. We talked about uh, some of the things Christians need to keep in mind in tough economic times. But tonight what we want to talk about more is the idea of consumer credit and the problems that people are getting into with excessive debt. And that's a big problem, and we're hearing more and more about it. And so we want to investigate how we should view these things and what the Bible has to say about personal debt uh, specifically. Earlier today to our update list, I sent out three questions, and we're still seeking input on these questions Number one, what causes people to borrow excessively and what Bible principles would address these motivations? Number two, what Bible principles apply to the subject of borrowing and lending money? And number three, what advice based on Scripture would you offer to someone who is literally drowning in debt? I think those are three questions that we want to investigate tonight, Jacob. And and then I'm going to add a fourth. We didn't send this out, but I'm I'm getting some feedback, and I think probably we will want to, before our study's over tonight, talk about the subject of bankruptcy. How should a Christian view the subject of bankruptcy? That's a legitimate question and one that we probably should look to the Bible and see if we can find an answer to. All right. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. To begin the hour, we have a special guest joining us on the phone from really not too far away, but he's still special. Edwin Crozier is joining us from on the north side of Columbia tonight. Edwin, thank you for being a part of the program. Oh, thanks, Jacob. Glad to be here. I appreciate you guys letting me uh, put my two cents in on this. Well, Edwin, I I got thinking about uh, having you be a part of the program tonight when we started talking about this subject. I listened to a sermon that you had posted on your the website of the congregation you preach for. Uh, you can give that website if you'd like. And about uh, you gave a sermon about uh, covetousness and uh, our our relationship to our material blessings. I thought you had some excellent thoughts, and so we'd like to talk with you a little bit about that tonight. Great, I'd, I'd be happy to share that. Yeah, that's a uh, you can find the lesson at franklinchurchofchrist.com, along with the audio and the outlines of every lesson that has been presented there over about the last five years. That's franklinchurchofchrist.com. The lesson that you're referring to is entitled, Better a Wise Servant Than a Rich Fool. And it was based out of Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 48. And it really did hit on the issue of covetousness and our greedy desire to have more. Before I, before I get into that, I, I kind of want to uh, just make this comment that 
since the program is about consumer credit and debt, I almost feel like I, I need to make sure that, that I let everybody know that when I talk about this, this is not me saying, look at me from up on here on high, having done everything right with finances and never having made a covetous decision. Don't you wish you could be more like me? Good point. This is one of those lessons, this is one of those lessons that I presented, and I, I sometimes tell the congregation, this, this is a lesson where I'm actually talking to me, and you guys all just get to listen in. Yeah, I, <laughs> often, I often tell people, Edwin, you know, I, I'm not in a very great position to give money advice. If I had any money, it might be a dangerous thing. But I'm, you know, uh, but we, but we're not looking to, you know, necessarily our own personal examples. We're looking to, to the biblical principles that we all need yeah. to be striving to apply. Absolutely, and that's it's a growth process, and that's what we're doing. Just the reason why I bring that up is just because in my own personal growth, it was a long time before I realized that the mistakes I was making with credit cards were actually a symptom of a deeper problem of coveting. And I think coveting is kind of one of those things that we talk about, but we don't have any idea who's doing it, really. Yeah, uh, That's that's always somebody else. And, it's sort of a church it, it, word. The preacher uses it once in a while, but I don't really think too much about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so it was a while in my growth before I began to realize, okay, these financial troubles I'm having, it's not because I'm just having financial trouble. It's because I've got a sin problem of coveting that I've got to deal with. And that's what led me to... To, to lessons like this, to understand these kind of passages that that help us. And, uh, and one, uh, of the, I, I one of the problems right? with covetousness, Edwin, is it's uh, it's not a uh, if or uh, you're, you're covetous or you're not. It sort of grows. It's, it's a gradual progression, and it, it sneaks up on you. Yeah, it's, there's, there's there's exactly. I, I guess we could kind of say maybe there's a, a spectrum. Um, it's not just a I either did it or I didn't. There's kind of, I guess, maybe degrees, and the Bible doesn't always spell out what all those degrees are. I know personally that I violated some of them, and I'm working on that, and I'm happy to help with the growth that I've had and the things that I've learned to try to pass on some of this information to help others take just a rigorously honest look at ourselves and make sure that we're that we're really growing in the principles that, that God has provided for us in the Scripture. To the text that you referenced in your sermon, there were some people who were arguing over financial matters. In Luke chapter 12, yeah, this is really interesting, because what's happening at the beginning of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and in Luke 12, verse 1, it says that there's many thousands of people, and, and he's talking, and then you get down to verses 8 through 12, and this is where he's talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I certainly don't want to distract us from the topic of covetousness, but, boy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what an amazing topic. I mean, I imagine if, if, uh, if you and I were talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit on this radio program here, we wouldn't expect somebody to call in and, say, and interrupt and say, I know you all are dealing with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but could you please tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me? <laughs> and, I mean, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I almost view that. I mean, Jesus here is explaining, here's the difference between people that go to heaven and hell, and he's explaining this to all the crowds, and it's almost as if this guy is in the crowd, and he's just he's just seething and waiting, and Jesus isn't dealing with the thing he wants dealt with, and so he finally blurts out, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and that, that changes the course of what's going on in Jesus' presentation. And he says, and, and I know that, I don't know exactly what was going on at that time, but the way Luke styles it in this chapter, that's, that's almost the picture that's presented. But well, you, Jesus doesn't answer his question. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you, you see a, a, a fact here about material possessions, and they blind us to spiritual truth. 
and yeah, they're, they're so con- they're so concerned about their inheritance, they're not paying any attention to what Jesus is saying on important subjects. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and of course the problem here with the materialism because of this materialism, he's blinded to his own spiritual state because he's so focused on what this other won't give him. He's so focused on taking from another, he's not paying attention to what Jesus is saying that could really help him. And and one of the points I made in the lesson is. I think that right there demonstrates why Paul, over in Colossians, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 5, calls covetousness idolatry. Because when we're so focused on material goods, it comes above everything else. And here, I mean, here you see it. Here's a guy that's not willing to listen to the very important thing Jesus is talking about, because he so wants Jesus to make his brother give him some money. That's covetousness. Yeah, that's idolatry. I think one of the and in that and and his immediate response, of course, he's going to he goes on to talk quite a bit more about it. But his immediate response was in verse fifteen: "Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth." Um, yeah. uh, that's one of the most straightforward statements about this in in the entire Bible. And I've often pointed out, Edwin, and I'm sure you agree. If there ever were people who needed to be warned about the danger of covetousness, it's us. We're the richest people who've ever lived in the history of the world. And Amen. so if it, if it was a danger to those people living in the first century, it obviously was. Jesus saw a need to warn them. Then we, we need warnings about it more than ever. I, I sometimes uh, encourage folks to stop and think about the things that we have, every one of us has, that we take for granted that King Solomon could never have imagined in his wildest dreams. King Solomon, the richest man in the world, could never have had a microwave oven. He couldn't. He didn't have you know hot and cold running water and flush toilets. I mean, you, you just right. think about the things that we enjoy, the the, the abundance uh, that we possess. We definitely need to be warned about this problem of covetousness. That goes right in with actually the way when I presented this lesson, the, the, my conclusion. Remember, the title of the lesson as I presented to the congregation was Better a Wise Servant Than a Rich Fool. And as I ended it, I said, here's what really concerns me about me. Uh, and, and I just listed some of the things I have. I, I have multiple sets of clothes. I own two cars. I have three computers. I live in a house. I have cell phones. I have appliances. I, when I want to wash my clothes, I walk into a room, throw them in a machine, and it does it for me. I have a refrigerator that keeps all my food cool and an oven that cooks it. Uh, I, I have all of these things, you know, I think I've got the rich part down. What I'm worried about is, is being the fool. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where we've got to be careful. Well, you know, though, course, that's what, you, you talk about all the blessings that we have, though, but when you look at, uh, when we look at our blessings, we, we, we're not thankful for them. We look at our car and how, how old it is and the scratch that, that we don't like on it and our, and the washing machine that's, uh, that had to be repaired last month and we start to, we start to be unthankful for all the incredible blessings that we have. Well, now you've quit preaching and gone to meddling, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you see in that 12th chapter of Luke as to as to some how Jesus drove his point home about the danger of covetousness. Well, what I found was very interesting as I was going through this chapter is I recognized that Jesus actually did three different things. He said something to the man. And then he turned and said something to the crowds, and then apparently either at that moment pulled aside his disciples, or maybe there was some time later, Luke doesn't exactly tell us the logistics of how this worked, but then very specifically spoke to his disciples. 
And with the man, he just kind of gave a, a quick rebuke. He really didn't deal much with the man. With the crowds, he gave them the warnings about covetousness. Then with the disciples, it's like he took them a step further and said, here's some practical things. Here's how you avoid the covenant. Uh, for instance, with the man, this is in chapter 12 and verse uh, 14, it says, he said to him, man who made me judge or arbitrator over you. My understanding, by the way, is that the you there is plural. So I almost get the idea that he's probably talking to this man and his brother, who made me the ju judge over both of you. And what's interesting about that is that Jesus is, in fact, the judge over both of these men. He is their judge. But his judgment is not about these petty squabbles about material goods. His judgment is about eternal things. And that's what he had just been talking about. He'd been talking about eternal things, and this guy didn't want to listen to that. And so he basically just says, you know what, I'm really not going to deal with your question. And I think he does that for two reasons. First of all, it, if he had addressed the question that was given him, it wouldn't deal with the real issue. The real issue was not about legal matters. Uh, the real issue is covetousness, and that's what he wants to get to. And I think the second thing, and even though this isn't about covetousness directly, I think we really need to point this out. I think the second reason Jesus didn't just jump on the specific question that was asked is because Jesus doesn't teach us so we can go around and tell everybody else what they have to do. Jesus teaches us so we know what to do. And this, this man, instead of listening to what Jesus was telling him about his eternal soul, couldn't wait for Jesus to tell his brother what he had to do. And I realize that we're supposed to teach others. We have responsibility to spread the gospel, and I'm not denying that at all. I just want to make sure that we get that when we come to the Word, the first thing we have to do is, what is this saying about me? Not, what does this tell me to tell everybody else? What is this saying about me? And so that's, that's what he said to the man and possibly to his brother. Then in verse 15 through 21, he turns and it says, he spoke to them. And I think that gets us back to the crowds. It's, it's like, okay, I'm not really going to deal with this issue, but I am going to use what you've said now and turn to the crowds. And that's when he brings up the point that you mentioned earlier. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on through the parable of this rich fool. And, and, that's, one, and that's one that everybody remembers pretty well. Uh, the, the fellow oh, yeah. who's going to, you can see it. Like so many of the parables of Jesus, you can just see this guy who has completely forgotten about the, the realities of life, uh, death and judgment. And, and he's just, he just thinking about his, his stuff. His stuff. And, and how much of it he has. Yeah. And he's, also, and he's also thinking that he's got so much stuff that it'll take care of him for the rest of his life. And, and he's, he's got ease now. He's, everything's good. He's, he's independent. He doesn't have to depend on anyone because he's got all his stuff that's going to take care of him. Yeah, and that, that description is, is, I mean, it strikes too close to home to those of us in, in this affluent society we live in. Yeah. And well, that's, that's, of course, what we're all striving for. I want to be independent. Well, no, God wants us to be dependent on him. That doesn't mean we're not allowed to have blessings. That doesn't mean we're not allowed to have a, a retirement fund. But it does mean that we better keep in mind where all that comes from, and we better keep in mind who really takes care of us. Yeah, that, that's it's right. Not our, it's not God, our bank account. God's going to take care of us in our retirement, not our uh, 401K or IRA. Absolutely. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if, some of the economic crunch that we're dealing with, 
is because God looked down at his people and said, wow, they're getting too stuck on money. They think their money's going to take care of them, and I need to show them otherwise. I'm not saying that's what's happening for sure. I, I can't say exactly what God's doing, but it wouldn't surprise me if God were doing that. Well, I've heard for yeah. years you know, that people would say what our country needs is another depression to get people thinking about what's really important instead of all this materialism. And yeah. that may, as you say, that may be what's happening. I, it's, it's going to be a hard lesson either way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh. Well, when, when Jesus turned to the crowds and talked about beware covetousness, and, and these verses here from 15 to 21, I see four things. I see him saying four things. Uh, the first thing is the obvious one that we've already mentioned, beware covetousness. And covetousness, we haven't actually defined it, even though we've been talking about it. My understanding of covetousness is the greedy desire to have more. Um, especially to have what belongs to others. Uh, Paul calls it idolatry in Colossians 3, 5. What Jesus says is, beware this desire to just have more. Covetousness is the opposite of contentment. Uh, it's, it's not wrong to, to, to like things or want things, but to have this greedy desire that I just can't be satisfied unless I have that thing, that's, that's covetousness, and Jesus says to beware of that. The second thing he says, and he says this in the parable of the rich man, the rich fool that we just talked about, who, who had so much stuff he had to build bigger barns, he says in there that, that a man's life does not consist of his possessions. And I, I think that's really important in our society because we often define people by what they own. We look at the kind of car they drive, the kind of clothes they wear, the kind of house they live in, and we kind of pigeonhole what kind of person that is. And we do that with ourselves. Our, our self-esteem is sometimes determined by how much money we make on the job. Uh, our our self-esteem is, is sometimes determined by how, what kind of material goods we have. Uh, you, you know, my self-esteem is defined by what kind of cell phone. Well, yeah, I yeah, and I'm I'm embarrassed to drive that old jalopy of a car. I, I've I got deserve to, better than I, that. I really deserve better, and and I I want to project a, a a more affluent image than I don't want people to see me driving that. Yeah, that kind of thing. And and that idea that what I'm driving defines who I am. That's the idea of my life consisting of my possessions. And again, it's not wrong if you have a nice car. It's, I I don't think the Bible condemns that. What, what's being condemned here is the idea that I'm special because of my nice car, or, as you said, the entitlement to a nice car, uh, especially the entitlement mindset that causes me to say that even though I can't afford it, and even if we will say we can, we can get a loan and, and have payments, I, even though I can't afford the payments, I deserve that car because I need to let people know that I'm uh, this kind of person. Uh, I'm a Hummer kind of person. I've even heard people say that. You know, uh, probably all of us from time to time have listened to Dave Ramsey, and you actually hear people say, "I just feel like—I mean, I've been through a lot of hard—I've I've worked hard and I've done a lot of stuff, and I just—I just feel like I deserve a new car." Oh, listen, you, uh, have you seen the credit card commercials? Oh, yeah. Some of them—that's—that's that's what they base it on. Yeah. You deserve this. Use our credit card, rack up debt because you deserve it. Right. Uh, and. Uh, that's one of the biggest lies out there. They want you to use their cards because they want your extra money. Anyway, yeah. the, the third lesson is possessions will not improve or even extend our lives. And we get that lesson also from the parable. Here this man had so much stuff, and yet he was going to die that night anyway. Uh, his, his possessions would feed him tomorrow, but he wasn't going to live to tomorrow. They, they couldn't keep him alive till tomorrow. And that's, that's the amazing thing. And what I see in this rich fool 
is, is he had enough possession that he was prepared to live for years to come. The problem was he had been so distracted by his possessions that he wasn't prepared to only live a few more hours. Yeah, that's, and that's sad. what happened. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard a lot of times, Ed, when the, the, the story told about a rich man, very rich man who died, and someone asked the question, how much did he leave behind? And the answer was oh. he left it all behind. He left it all. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Not, not a bit of it went with him. And we can, we can be misers and we can scrape and we can, or we can spend. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what we do on any of that, on that spectrum. That money, that money is not going to keep us from dying when, when, uh, when our life is over. And it's not going to keep us out of judgment when we go to judgment. And that's, that's the thing. Our possessions don't improve or extend our lives. And as Jacob pointed out, I actually presented this lesson right before uh, the, the, the Christmas holiday. Because I know there are lots of people that they get to Christmas and they're, they're just, in our society, they're just so eat up with getting and getting and getting and all these presents they're going to get. And it's, it's really kind of sad because uh, the day after Christmas, they, they all figure out that all those things that they thought were going to make them happen, happy didn't and that probably as you say that is the season of the year when this thing just gets almost crazy out of control uh people buying borrowing to buy more things that they don't need and probably don't even want that bad because it's what they've been conditioned to do in our society and we probably don't have time to get into how how much we're teaching our kids along those lines especially that time of the year oh yes oh yes well what is it Dave Ramsey says? Uh, we're, we're borrowing money we don't have to buy things we don't want to impress people we don't like. Right. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, that's the problem here. And, and somehow, even though I think on an intellectual level we all admit that having the bigger house isn't going to make me happy, having the nicer car isn't going to make me happy, uh, it's still at some point as we're looking forward to getting those things, We trick ourselves into thinking that maybe this next purchase will really make my life better and make me happy. And then when it doesn't, that's when the depression sets in. Well, that's what, but that's what marketing people are, are very skillful at doing is to make us think we've got to have it and we can't be happy without it. And, and this covetousness, as it did with the rich farmer, it, when we make our priority things, worldly possessions, what that always does is crowd God out of the position that he demands to hold in our lives. And when that happens, we're ruined. Right. Or it crowds God out because it's idolatry. Exactly right. That, 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 that's a real good connection. God is crowded out by idols. Something else is, in, is being worshipped instead of him. Exactly right. And you tie this in with another parable, the, the parable of the, the sower and the seeds. And when it talked about him tossing the seeds, uh, where the weeds were. In one of the uh, passages where that's related, it talks about those weeds being riches and the worries of this world. And how many of the worries of this world come from our riches? Certainly. I mean, right now, Most all these of worries it. that we've got is, oh no, what's happening to my 401k? My stocks went down. Uh, I might, uh, you know, my, I, I might uh, not get a raise this year. That sort of stuff. My all, third, my all third all car needs a new set of tires. yeah yeah Yeah. well did you see uh, did you see uh, real quickly we've kept you longer than we said we were going to think he's got Uh, one you got one more 15 minutes 
You've, you've got one more point, I think, as well, in your sermon. Well, uh, I, well, I've actually got five more points. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let me give them to you real quick. As he was talking to the rich, uh, excuse me, I'm starting to make stories here. As he was talking to the crowd, that final thing, uh, what I said is the, the four lessons, beware covetousness, one's life doesn't consist of its possessions, thirdly, possessions won't improve or extend our life. And the fourth thing that he said was you've got to be rich toward God. In verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's, that's the key. When we're rich toward ourselves and not toward God, we're going to have problems. And that was, this, that was this fool's problem. He was rich toward himself. Then, and I'll try to be quick on this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to take up... Oh, no, no, I think it's an important lesson. Edwin barricaded himself in his room and kicked the kids out, so the barricade, <laughs> the barricade must be holding up pretty well then tonight, huh? Yeah, I can, I can hear them running around downstairs. I think they took all my threats very seriously. <laughs> anyway, uh, when he turned to his disciples, and again, I don't know if, if this means, because it does say very specifically in verse 22, and he said to his disciples, and I understand that Luke's not necessarily telling us every detail. This may have been later, or maybe just his disciples were close, and he just turned to them and just started talking quietly to them. I don't know. But he is specifically saying this to his disciples, and it's almost like I've told the crowds, here's the warning, but now here's my disciples. You guys need a little bit more, because I know y'all are listening, and y'all are going to work on this, and I want to give you some practical how-to. And, and once again, four things that, that I found in these verses from verse 22 to verse 48. I'm not saying these are the only four things in those verses, just the four things that apply to this topic of covetousness that I found, the practical help. The first thing is he told his disciples, don't be anxious, trust God. That's what you get in verses 22 through 28. Don't be anxious. Trust God. Your anxieties, your worries, they're not going to help you. They're not going to make you any taller. They're not going to provide you your clothes. Uh, don't worry. Trust God. I'll tell you what I think our problem here is on this, though. I don't think our problem is worry about stuff for today. I think our worries are generally I don't have enough stuff to last. Right, yeah. And what this really pushes us toward is a one-day-at-a-time mindset. God well, that, boy, that's, care of me today. That's foreign to us, though, isn't it? It's that, oh, it is. It was common in, in times past. I mean, and in certain places in the world today, they, they are, they're working today so they'll have something to eat tomorrow. But that is so foreign to our way of thinking. We've been so uh, abundantly blessed, and we have such prosperity. We're not thinking about tomorrow or next week or next month. We're thinking about our retirement years. Yeah, we're thinking 30 years down the road. Right. And, and what Jesus really pushes us toward is to think about this. You know what? I ate today. When tomorrow gets here, in this what he said in Matthew 6, when tomorrow gets here, it's got enough worries of its own. Let's just think about today. I got to eat today. I've got clothes on my back today. I'm, I'm in my house today. God's taking care of me today. When we get to tomorrow, we'll think about tomorrow. But at that time, let's not mess up today by all this crazy-making in our minds about what might happen 30 years down the road. Let's do what God wants us to do today and recognize the blessings he's giving us today. Absolutely. The, se um, the second thing that I get out of this is, of course, where he says that we need to seek God's kingdom. And this, that's down in verses 29 through 32. He talks about this. And, of course, we normally go to Matthew 6:33 to talk about seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness. This is a parallel passage, seeking God's kingdom. And that's interesting, because when we're in these, this financial worry, we don't want to seek God's kingdom. We want to seek 
money, material security. And what Jesus says is, when I seek God's kingdom, he'll take care of me. And this, perhaps because I just taught a class over the time period of Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, and then Zechariah and Haggai, it made me think of Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and I'm not going to read that, but what was happening there, the people had been restored to the promised land after the Babylonian captivity. They immediately started building the temple, but then got distracted. And in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, God really rebukes them because they're spending all their time in their own fields, on their own paneled houses, and his house uh, is lying in ruins. And what he says is, you brought, you brought your stuff home, and I blew it away. You, you planted your fields, and I gave you a drought. And he says, you know, it's interesting. The more I did that, the more you kept thinking, well, we, before we start working on the temple, we've got to work on our own home. And what God says is, you know, if you had just gone to work on your temple, uh, on my temple, God says, well, I'd have made your fields flourish. Yeah, well, what a lesson. Yeah, I, I'd have got your house built. But see, the problem is because you weren't thinking about me first, you not only didn't get my house built, but I kept you from getting your stuff built. And what God's saying is, I'll take care of you if you just seek me first. If, you, if the thing that you are concerned most about today is just what's the next right thing, what is the thing that I need to be doing to serve God in his righteousness and seek his rule in my life? Now, sometimes that's going to mean I go to work and I make some money to provide to my family. Uh, you know, that's that's certainly going to mean that. Sometimes that's going to mean I save. Sometimes that's going to mean I spend. I know that. But the overarching principle is that what God is saying is, what I need to be most concerned about today is, what is it that I need to be doing next to be seeking his rule in my life first? And if I do that, he's going to take care of me. Now, here's where the rub is. He may not take care of me as much as I want him to. Or in the same way I want him to, yeah. yeah. He may, he may not take care of me by giving me the house on the hill or the Hummer, uh, but he will take care of me. He will take care of me. Two more lessons real quick. I, I, I start rambling. Sorry about that. The, this is the one that I'm not sure we like to hear. And this is definitely the one that we often uh, – we'll, we'll say this one, and then we're going to spend more time offering the caveats, which, which concerns me about what we do with this. But in verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. This is a practical tool. Basically what Jesus says is, quit being so worried about your needs. Look at folks who have more needs than you do. Yeah. And yes, I know this doesn't mean that every Christian has to sell everything they own because then they become the needy ones. And that also would deny all the things that the Bible says about how God blesses us to take care of us. I understand that. And it also, you know, it's not an issue of let me make enough to just barely scrape by and then give everything else away. Because God also blesses us, and we're allowed to enjoy those blessings. Ecclesiastes talks about that. And we bring up those caveats, and I agree with all those caveats, but sometimes I worry that we caveat this verse so it doesn't mean anything. Well, anymore. really, I think we do that to all of the teaching, and there's a good bit of teaching. Jesus personally and the, and, and the apostles as well did a good bit of teaching on the need for us to, to be a benevolent people and I, I, I agree with you. I think that we really have neglected so much Bible teaching on the idea of sharing and helping and giving to those in need. We don't do much of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, 
Paul told Timothy about the rich, that they needed to not hope and trust in their riches, but give generously and share with others. And basically what he's saying is God has blessed those who are well off to help those who aren't. And that's us and that are well off. That, that's you, that? that's you, Edwin, that, that's the, the rich there, and that's us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, you are, you are so right about that. One other passage, Hebrews thirteen sixteen, that says God is pleased with such sacrifices, and, and there he talks about sharing with others. God is pleased with those sacrifices. Um, one of the things that we need to realize here is what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. What God says there is that those who help others, God takes care of. You know, we've, we've heard all our lives, God helps those who help themselves. No, what the Bible really says is God helps those who help others. Right. And, and that's, that's, he helps those who help others spiritually, emotionally, but also materially. Now, let's not make this a, a health and wealth gospel. This is not a manipulative thing. Well, if I give $100 to the poor this week, God will bring it back to me a tenfold. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that when we trust God enough to open up our hands and let the blessings he's given us to, share, to go to others and share with them and bless them, that God will continue to bless us. Now, that, that may mean, because especially when you look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, uh, there Paul kind of presents a picture of right now the, the folks in Judea are in need and you guys have plenty. It may be the other way around. So God may bless you by later you're in need and they have to help you. But God will take care of us. Right. And the fourth lesson, and this is the one that when I studied this really shocked me. Because when I first studied this passage, I, I first thought the whole section was over at verse 34. But for some reason, I just kept reading in verse 35. I thought verse 35 kind of went to a different section. But as I kept reading, one thing stood out to me that really, really struck me. In verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And, and that, that statement there about being set over his possessions caught my attention. Because this is the third time in this chapter possessions has been mentioned. Jesus said that a man's life doesn't consist of his abundance of possessions. He told his disciples, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And now he says, if we're vigilant in these things, if we stay alert in the Lord's work, that's the fourth lesson, we've got to stay alert in the Lord's work. If we stay alert in the Lord's work, then when he returns, he's going to set us over his possessions. That's I don't know what his possessions are. I, I don't know what that's going to be. I just know this. I bet the Lord's possessions are better than mine. Oh, way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Unlimited. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, I, had, so, I had not seen that point either. That's interesting in the context. I like the way you brought that in because that, that does fit. It really does. Yeah, and I, and I certainly see that there is a bit of a different topic being brought up in verse 35, but I think, he's, I think Luke is connecting us back. It all goes together. That when we, when we realize my life isn't made up of possessions, so I'm free to share those possessions with others because God blesses me to be a blessing to others, when I stand before the Lord, I'll get the real possessions. And, and here's the key. Let's not sacrifice the real possessions by trying to grasp hold of these temporal earthly possessions. 
Yeah, it's a, le- it's a lesson we need, and we need it badly. Edwin, we've kept you twice as long or more than we said we were going to, but, man, you've made some wonderful points from an important text, and I hope that our listeners will take some time later on to go back to Luke 12 and just reread that and think about those important lessons on on how we should view things uh, and, and the warnings against covetousness and to think about uh, our own situation in this affluent world that we live in. I appreciate you guys letting me be on here. I hope it was helpful. I it, look forward to it being was. with you guys again. Yeah, I hope we can. Thanks so much, Edwin. We appreciate it. You better go check on those kids and make sure they haven't torn down the house. I'm going to have to. Y'all have a great night. Thanks, Thanks Edwin. Edwin. Bye-bye. All right, time for a break. Uh, to Get your emails ready, get your calls ready, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Hospitality is a trait that should characterize all Christians. In fact, we are commanded to show hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. When we fulfill this command, we'll take a huge step in the direction of developing the close, personal relationships that are so vital to all of us as Christians. How can we do a better job in this important area of hospitality? First of all, realize that hospitality is an outgrowth of love. In the verse previously cited, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, the command to love immediately precedes that command to show hospitality in verse 8. When we show hospitality, we give a message that we love others. When we fail to show hospitality, we give a message too. Think about that. Recognize that demonstrating hospitality is not always easy. We must work at it. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says we are to be, quote, given to hospitality. This phrase suggests the idea of effort, of pursuing a thing, planning, preparing, making sacrifices, and so forth. Hospitality should not be done with the idea of receiving something in response. Many people give invitations with the expectation of receiving an invitation in return. But Jesus taught, quote, When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And finally, don't resent the time, energy, and money spent on hospitality. It is to be done, quote, without grudging. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. When we give hospitality, we obey the direct command of God, we show our love toward others, and we help one another on the road to heaven. And therefore, we need to just do it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Stephen Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. If you're just joining us, we're talking about consumer credit. We just got off the phone with Edwin Crozier. He gave us some excellent things to think about in the area of covetousness. And uh, that really does tie into our topic about consumer credit because we see... The credit crisis in America today has really been brought on by excessive covetousness and greed on the part of the consumer. I think so. Uh, I, I looked at some statistics earlier today. The, according to the Federal Reserve, credit card debt is is right at credit card debt among American consumers is right at one trillion dollars. That's how much is out there that are owed on credit cards. Total. Personal, total household debt in the United States. That is, in other words, people, families, household debt. And this is not a, an absolutely current figure. This is this figure was from 2006. 
but total household debt eleven point five trillion dollars. Wow, that's a number you can't get that big in your head. Uh, that that's, your calculator won't go that big. Oh, not even close. Yeah, not even close. So there's a lot of there's a lot of debt, and the thing that spurs it on. Uh, we asked the question to in, to our update list earlier today. What causes people to borrow excessively and what Bible principles would address these motivations? And I think Edwin dealt with that very thoroughly as he was discussing the problem of covetousness. Ultimately, it is covetousness, wanting more things, an inordinate desire for things. And we have to be careful when we talk about this. We're not making a blanket statement that says everybody who borrows, if anybody borrows a dime, they're doing it out of covetousness. We don't believe that to be the case. Yeah. We, we might say that a majority of it is the case, but we know that some of it is motivated by covetousness. Exactly right. And and, covetous, and as Edwin clearly pointed out, it's not wrong to hope to, to possess certain things, that you have a desire for certain things. But I think a, a good working definition of covetousness is the idea of an inordinate or an out-of-place desire for things. It's, just, it's In other words, you have such a strong desire for things, it doesn't fit. Uh, it's not appropriate. Um, and, and when you're willing to borrow, uh, and get yourself an excessive debt to have things, commit yourself to payments that you can't even probably hope to make reasonably, then that, that is the idea of covetousness. So, uh, our good friend Randy in Jackson, Missouri has written in, in answer to that question, what causes people to borrow excessively and what Bible principles would address this? He says, what answer could I give but greed? It is a violation of the Tenth Commandment against covetousness in the Old Testament. What we see there is that under the Old Testament law, covetousness was a sin, and it is in the New Testament as well. He says, basically, it's because I want something that belongs to someone else, or I want something that that makes me look better than someone else, or I mean all things in that in that in that sort of category. You know, a passage I think that uh, really touches on this, and uh, we had him just on, on the other side of our break, the latter half of the passage, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, let your, con- your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We really need to ask ourselves that question, Dad, before we go into that uh, debt Am I doing this because I'm content with the things that I have, or am I being guilty of being covetous? Yeah, exactly right. There's a pretty good there's a pretty good warning in Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9, where the wise man says, "Give me neither poverty nor poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord?" So, the, uh, in his in his wisdom, the writer of Proverbs realized that. People who are in extreme poverty face unique temptations, understood. He didn't want to be in that situation. But he understood people with great riches are also in a position of temptation, and he didn't want to be in that position either. So uh, we, we, need to, we need to be concerned. Um, we had a second question that we put out there too. What biblical principles apply to the subject of borrowing and lending? And the Bible does address that. We should understand that the Word of God is is thorough in the sense that it deals with everything that we need to know and it deals with this idea of borrowing and the the biblical principles in the bible are that we should pay pay for the things that we have the things that we owe (coughs) excuse me randy writes in the bible teaches that we should pay what we owe 
I would recommend not borrowing for items that have a short life, like vacations, TVs, computers, clothes, etc. I would also recommend not getting into a position where you owe more than the item is worth. The, The Bible also teaches lenders not to abuse borrowers. But the Bible does. The biblical principles on borrowing, let me read a few of these things to you. Uh, Psalms 37, 21, the New American Standard Version says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. That's a biblical principle about borrowing. To borrow and not pay back is a wicked thing. Romans 13, verse 8, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. <coughs> Are you doing okay over there? I'm about to choke up on this. Uh, I'll loan you a lozenge if you need one. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back on the other side. We'll talk about that. You can get your voice back, and we'll continue the discussion on the other side. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And I'm back. Are you back? I'm back. All right. my voice back. Well, yeah. we appreciate you being part of the program. <clears throat> Give us a call or send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. We we didn't get a lot of feedback on our email messages, and I wonder, Jacob, is because everybody's sitting back saying, I need some help on this. I'm going to wait and see what everybody else says. So we didn't get a lot of feedback to our email questions. But uh, we were asking, what is the motivation? When people borrow excessively, what's the motivation? It seems that we're pretty clear, and I think probably all in agreement, that many times th- that this is a problem of covetousness, and the Bible addresses that a lot. On the question of borrowing and lending, the Bible warns and calls it an evil thing to borrow and not pay back. And that we're not, uh, and I think an important New Testament verse there is the one we just read, Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So we're not supposed to owe um, others. Now, now, just maybe by way of explanation, uh, I've had people ask me the question does that mean that we couldn't take a mortgage out and buy a house? In other words, we owe on our house. And I think the answer to that is that I don't believe the, the verse is condemning that. If you are, if you make an agreement to, to buy something like a home and make mortgage payments, if you were to ask, if, if you were current, if you'd paid on time and you, and you were uh, exactly where you need to be by way of making payments, if you were to ask the bank, do, does this person owe you? Are they owing you? Their answer would no. They would say no. They're current. They've paid by agreement at this point. They're they're not owing us anything at this point. They're current on their debt. <clears throat> so, uh, but I do believe the idea is that of honesty. Now that brings up the question. By the way, we have got one other question about advice, scripture based advice, and and I, I want to read Randy's answer on that real quick before we go to this idea of could we 
or would it be justifiable for a Christian to declare bankruptcy? Um, Randy, and I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing this because I don't know this, but I thought I'd pass it along. He, he talks about material produced by Crown Financial Ministries. I don't know anything about them. Financial books written by Randy Alcorn, whose name I have heard, but I have not read his book. So uh, Randy suggests there's some advice there for people who are seeking help in those ways. Now, what about all this consumer debt and people declaring bankruptcy? We've got a, a an email from our friend Pat in Harvest, Alabama, who has written in and takes this passage or takes this position uh, on bankruptcy. I won't read all of this, but he says the Bible teaches that bankruptcy is absolutely sinful. Uh, in the context of paying money, Romans 13.8 says, Owe no man anything. Uh, the Old Testament taught the same thing. Psalm 37.21, The wicked borrow and payeth not again. Taking bankruptcy allows a person not to have to pay their debts and is in effect stealing and therefore violates passages like Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole steal no more. It doesn't matter that the government makes it legal, Acts 5.29. It is the transgression of God's word and therefore it is sinful. Bankruptcy violates two passages, First Thessalonians 4.11, uh, study that you be quiet, do your own business, and work with your own hands as we command you, that you may walk honestly toward them without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Matthew 7.12, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Many Christians have taken bankruptcy, and if they don't repent, they, they need to be disciplined. He goes on uh, uh, because they won't meet their financial commitments. Now, I would take a, a slight exception with Pat on his position here on bankruptcy. Uh, th- there are actually different kinds of bankruptcy. And so I think if you make a blanket statement condemning bankruptcy, you're not taking account that there are different kinds. In principle, you would agree with Pat, though. In principle, I agree, but but with some potential exceptions. There is the kind of bankruptcy that just seeks court assistance in, in providing additional time. If, you, if you're unable to pay debts uh, in, in, on time, you, some kinds of bankruptcy will simply, in other words, you're not walking away from your debt. You're saying, I need more time to pay this debt. And, and so I wouldn't necessarily say that's wrong. That might be an honorable thing to do. If, you, if, you, if there's no way you're going to be able to pay on time, instead of saying, I just won't pay at all, you say, I, I'll pay. I just need more time to pay. That may be an honorable thing. But that's a different kind of bankruptcy, and I don't—I don't even know their their their. Uh, what chapter of the book? Which you'd be chapter at? of that's bankruptcy right. that is? But, but the other thing is, I would also say that you have to allow the the possibility that someone could end up in a situation not of their own making, in which they might be forced to declare bankruptcy. For instance, if you were to incur a huge amount of medical debt that you couldn't pay, at least not pay in a, in a very timely manner. The, the the hospital, for instance, might force you to take bankruptcy so that they can write that debt off of their books. And so it might not be by your choice. It might be by your creditor's choice that they force you into that position. You wouldn't have done it. You say, I'll pay on this as I can, as as much as I can, and I'll do it on a regular basis. But they would say, that's not good enough. we got to get this off of our books. And so that might be, and I'm not familiar with all the legal ins and outs of that, but that might be the case. But those are exceptions. I, I would agree in principle with, with the point that Pat makes that we should not borrow with any idea toward not paying back. When we buy on credit, we're basically making a promise to pay back what's borrowed. And then if we 
by, in, by our own volition, take legal steps to avoid doing what we've promised to do, then how could that be called an honest thing for a Christian? It doesn't seem to me that you could claim honesty when, in fact, you made a promise to pay and now you're, you're purposefully seeking to be excused from having to do what you promised to do. And a lot of people are in that position, though, because of the fact that they wanted more stuff. They weren't happy with what they had and they wanted to go out and get more. Exactly right. And so I, I think that this is a subject that uh, all of us as Christians have, have got to be carefully thinking about because we are, as Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says, we are to be providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Uh, we are to be honest individuals. And this has to be a, a matter of great concern to us that our that our reputation and our influence are such that, well, for instance, Second Corinthians chapter six, verses three and four says, "Give no cause for offense in anything, in order that the ministry be not discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as the servants of God." Everything we do, we need to be leaving the impression that we're, you know, uh, very upright, and and that we're concerned about our reputation, and we don't want to leave any occasion where someone could say evil about God and His people. Certainly so. We have time to take your comments. If you hurry, send your emails to questions at collegeu.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. I'd be especially interested to hear what someone, some of you might think about the bankruptcy question uh, because it, it is a big uh, – it, it, it is an issue that has affected people's lives, and we need to know uh, what God would have us to do. But I, I think in general and in summary, I would say that uh, bankruptcy is wrong – if you're talking about the kind of bankruptcy where you're just trying to be relieved of all your debts, you've run up a bunch of debts, you bought cars and boats and TVs and went on vacations, and now you can't pay for what you did. Um, and this Pat alludes to in his email, the government may say you can do that, but a Christian should never walk away from things that he owes. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't say, okay, the Bible tells me I need to pay my debts, but I'll go to the judge, and he says I don't have to, so now I don't have to listen to what the Bible says. Yeah, you're, you're obligated if you've said you'll pay that back, and you and you don't. You know, uh, and and maybe one th- more thing before we run out of time, Jacob, that we ought to talk about is what some have termed the law of diminishing return. And I think that this is something that we all uh, are, are in a position to experience because we've had such abundance and so many things and so much money and so many material possessions. The Bible uh, basically suggests the idea that the the more one has – the less satisfied he becomes with what he has or what he is experiencing. And this is true of lots of things, but it's true about money. And notice what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. When goods increase, they are increased who eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them in their eyes? And so Solomon, it's interesting that he's the one who wrote those words. He was in a position to speak from personal experience, and that is that he was not satisfied, that all of the money and all the possessions that he had acquired had not brought him any satisfaction. We're never going to be able to experience that at the level Solomon did, but we ought to be wise enough to accept his counsel on the matter when he says that the person who's seeking silver will not be satisfied with silver. The man who loves abundance will not be satisfied with increase. Solomon, and I think there's probably a really good argument that could be made that Solomon's the richest man who ever lived. Uh, I think he would make 
Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like relative paupers. Yeah. But he, in in his abundance, he says there's no real satisfaction in that. That's not where life is at. And of course, that's what Jesus taught. And we may, we have we have witnessed that in our own lives. We when we looked at something, we thought we wanted to have it, and uh, and we found out that that wasn't really what made us happy, and that there wasn't true uh, fulfillment in those material possessions. We've done that in our lives. And another statement from the Old Testament, Proverbs 23, verse 4: Labor not to be rich. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle, as an eagle toward heaven. In other words, the uncertainty of riches and how that we can't trust and, them. And here's a passage that goes along with that. First Timothy chapter six, uh, verse six, beginning. And I think this is a passage that challenges everyone who's in America today. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can carry. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in perdition and instruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We're told there if we have something to wear and we have something to eat, we should be happy with that, and I don't know many people who would be. That's right. That's not that's not in our mindset to be satisfied at that level. It certainly is a challenge, and we need to we need to be striving to meet the challenge that is put forth in that passage. Make sure that we rid ourselves from the covetousness that really our society is bombarding us with. Yeah. All the commercials we see uh, are here are telling us you need this, you've got to have this to be happy. Your life is not complete until you have this product that we want you to buy. And it begins to influence our thinking. Exactly right. Uh, in, in summary, we would have to say credit's not sinful, but it can sure be abused. And in Proverbs 22, verse 26, it says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away the bed from under thee? In other words, you get into a credit situation, you're liable to lose even what you've got. Um, got one more email coming in. Let's see. This is from Pat again, uh, who, who had written in. Now, he, he did. He, he had presented the article on bankruptcy. Yeah, you took yeah. a little exception to what he said. Yeah, he says I agree that seeking more time type bankruptcy is not sinful. So okay. He, uh, but if the hospital can somehow force you to take bankruptcy, I haven't heard of that before. Then you are still obligated to pay the debt and try for the rest of your life to do so. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you can just walk away from debts. You're obligated. Yeah. That's right. Thank you, Pat, for listening. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening and participating in the program tonight. Certainly things we need to think about, Dad, as we view our material possessions. We need to make sure we're viewing them the correct way. We obviously live in a world that's just overtaken with credit and credit woes, and we've got all this economic stuff that's coming upon our our our, our times now because uh, people have abused credit. That's ultimately what it is. People have abused credit. They've bought things they can't afford to pay for, and now it's all coming home to roost. It is not a sin to be rich. It, right. is, it is not a sin, but it is a challenge, and we need to be aware of that challenge. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for listening to the program tonight. We hope you benefited from the things that we have discussed. We look forward to you being a part of the virtual Bible study this time again next week. Until then, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.